0: to see you guys. Let's bring your backpack to work, okay? I'll explain this in just a little bit. So today, we're talking about Advent, right? We're in the middle of this series, and our word is preparation. How many of you never thought you'd hear the word preparation as part of Advent? You thought it'd be hope, or peace, or love, and preparation surprising? Anybody? Okay. So Advent, at its core is a season of preparation. That's that's what it is. I I didn't grow up Catholic and I also didn't grow up using liturgy, so I never explored I just didn't like, you know, get into Advent. I never had this and so as I started to research this, I realized, man, church church history's been doing this for a very long time. Churches has, have been doing this as this season to prepare you for Christmas. So I thought it was just chocolate you opened up and counted down the days and then you're like, we get more chocolate. This is what I mean, Advent's the best, right? Get dark. That's what I want. That's what, that's what I thought it would be, and it's not. So what it really is is when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And it's more than just like a nativity scene and a cute picture with a baby. What we're celebrating Christmas is this idea that Jesus has made his way into our midst, that God has drawn near. And, and what that's supposed to signify to each of us is that the kingdom of God is here. Not out there, not in heaven someday. It's here that God is as close as he could possibly be. That there's not something about you or something about us that's somehow holding him back. That he, he can draw as close to us as pot, He's, he can be one of us. And so we celebrate this with Christmas time. It's the celebration that the fullness of life is available to all of us because Christ is here. And so Advent became the season of preparation leading into that reality where people are like, well, if we're going to step into that season, Let's prepare to actually live in it. Because you ever get, get to a moment and, and it's good, but you weren't ready for it, and so you miss a little bit of it, right? There, there's preparation that we can do that, that move us there. So we focus on words like hope and on joy and peace so that when we step into this new season of life, into this Christmas season and beyond, we, we have this to bring to it. That's what Advent is. At its core, it is a season of preparation. And so I wanted to talk to you about this idea of preparation today because there's something about preparation that I've learned uh, in the last year and a half here uh, that that I see in the Christmas story uh, in a profound way. And it's really significant, significant because you can prepare in so many different ways. But if you miss this, sometimes you can miss the whole thing and so we 'll unpack what I mean when I say that, but to, to get into this I started um, and this with the backpacks floor I started free diving uh, about a year and a half ago and I really, really like it. Free freediving and spearfishing. I think it's really fantastic. I've talked with many of you about it, and I realize it brings sheer terror to most people, and, and I get it. But I, I really like it. I, I thought it was amazing, and I just wanted to get into it. I, I liked snorkeling at first. I call snorkeling the gateway drug of, of this because I, I, I love the ocean, and I love seeing what's under it. It's like this whole humongous world. And it covers like a huge chunk of our planet, and I want to explore it. And I didn't want to just be like a a person in an observatory looking at an underwater zoo. I want to be a part of it. I want to get down in it. And so I got really excited about this, and I was like, what do I need to do? Because I knew nothing. I don't even know a freediver. I don't know a spearfisher. Nobody suggested this. I just wanted to do this. And so I started to look, and there's like a lot to do. And I didn't realize that there was all the stuff I had to prepare for. You ever get into a hobby and you're like, don't worry, honey, it's going to be like just a little thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, but also this and also that and also this, and it gets out of hand. So that's what this has been. And so I started thinking, I just need a good set of fins. And apparently for free diving, you need certain kinds of fins. They're ridiculous. I'll show them to you. I'm 6'5", you guys. Yeah, they're really long, right? They're ridiculous and awkward. You never walk around in these things. Like, but you swim like a fish. It's so fun. You do. You swim like a fish. If you swim at a public pool and you just want to like, really impress the people around you with how fast, like a dolphin you are, bring these. They're going to be great. It'll be awkward, but it's going to be great. So you need special freediving fins. I'm like, cool, I got it. Ready for the ocean. But I'm not. Uh, I- I'm not at all. In fact, I had to get a mask. You have to have a low-volume mask. And so the mask I had is, uh, is not low volume. So now I have this one and this works. It's my second mask because the first one that I bought leaked and didn't fit me quite right. And apparently it's harder to buy a mask than a wedding dress. And so I, I now have this one and it seems to work okay. And so I, I had to buy that so that I can see underwater. And, and then I had to get a snorkel. I had a snorkel and then I talked to some other freedivers and they were like, you can't use that snorkel. And, and there was so much judgment. So I had to get a freediving snorkel. And and now I have this so I can breathe underwater and and I sometimes swallow water because it's kind of weird and hard when you're out in the ocean. This doesn't even have what's called a purge valve. Water just gets into it and doesn't get out. It's weird. So I have that. And then I I also have to get a wetsuit because I don't know if any of you guys have ever swam in the Pacific Ocean before, which is our nearest access, or even down in in Mexico. It's often cold. And if you're cold, you can't hold your breath, you guys. So you need a wetsuit. And I'm tall. And the only wetsuit I could find in my specific specifications Is this crazy camel one? So I walk around sporting this thing. Head, like, head to toe. Guys, when I get out of my car and I walk down to the water, everyone's like, that guy though, right? Like I look like Scuba Steve going on an underwater investigation. And and I do. And in case anybody's curious about what I do, sometimes I just want to free dive and I don't want to even spearfish. But luckily, everybody knows what I'm doing all the time because it says spear diver. So I don't care where I'm at. If I wear this, everyone's like, what'd you shoot? What'd you get? And then I have to be embarrassed and be like, nothing, I'm not very good. And, and so it's kind of weird. And then on top of that, when you're out, sometimes you get a cramp and your body can't swim back to shore and you're really far. So you have to buy a float, It's a big old float, and it's got a rope that's attached to you so that people know how to find you and they can't see you, it, a whole lot of things. And, and so I had to buy a float because I needed to be safe. And then when you're wearing all that neoprene, you don't, you don't sink anymore, so you can't dive because it's rubber, and so you float on the surface. So then you got to buy a dive belt with like a lot of weight because I wear a lot of neoprene and so I have all this weight, and then a dive knife in case I get tangled up in in seaweed or fishing line, and I need to cut myself free or do so, or, or fish or I don't know something weird. And so I have this, and it goes around my waist, and it's really awkward and uncomfortable sometimes. But you get used to it. And then I had all of this stuff. This isn't even most of it, and and, and I had to get a bag for it, and and it's so much stuff. I had to buy a dive watch. Because you need to know how deep you're going, and you need to know how long you've held your breath, and how much time to spend on the surface, and there's algorithms that calculate that, and all these things. And I even I, I took a class at a local dive shop so that I could be certified and do this safely. Do you, I'm trying to emphasize. Do you see all the preparation and purchasing and research and crazy that was involved. It was so much. Worth it though, because. I wanna be a part of this underwater world. I wanna go explore this thing. I even got this app on my phone that, that helps me do these drills about holding my breath. So I remember the first time I went to hold my breath and I was like, well, let's see what I can do. And I'm probably like you guys would be. I bet a bunch of you are gonna start holding your breath. I, I, I did about 45 seconds. And I was like, okay, that's about what I can do. And, and then all of a sudden it became a minute. And then it became a minute and a half. And then it became two minutes. And then it became two and a half minutes. And then three minutes, I finally hit where I could lay down in my bed Dead still and hold my breath for three straight minutes. Can I, can I tell you how weird it is to be in my house? My wife, I, so many times in the last year, will walk into the bedroom and I'm laying on my bed and, and she just starts talking to me. And then she pauses, like, why are you ignoring me? And a second, and like moments later, I go, <gasps> and I'm like catching my breath because I was holding it the whole time and she has no idea what's happening. And this is now just normal in the Kramer household. And so I I did this. I got to where I could hold my breath for three minutes. I had all the stuff. I was certified. I am prepared, you guys. I have researched. I have read. I'm good to go. So I drove to the Pacific Ocean. I drove out to, to L.A., actually, and there's a spot out there that I wanted to go out to. And I was like, all right, I'm getting in the water. Let's do this. I suited up. And I put all my gear on and I, I found this really cool kelp forest way out there, and I swam out to a kelp forest and because I want to dive somewhere cool, and I laid in the water and I just tried to relax to get my heart rate low, and then I dove for the first time. And I swam down and I'm finning around down there, and I realize I can only see 15 feet around me, and that's kind of scary. It is, right? When you're in the ocean and you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're by yourself and you're swimming 15 feet, it's it's kind of scary. And so I was like, okay, my, my muscles started to tighten up and my chest started to tighten up. And, and, and everything in me, this little voice inside of me was like, dude, get to the top of the water and get a breath. You do not belong here, kind of a thing. Like, you're done. Go back up. This, and so I was like, okay, and I fought it as long as I could. And I went back to the surface and really excitedly I checked my watch to see, okay, how long has it been? Because I can hold my breath for three minutes and it had been 25 seconds. You laugh. I was so disappointed. I was. I was just like, wait, what? Okay, I bet that was a first-time deal. I bet if I just get in the water, it's going to get better, and so I'm going to dive back in. So I get back in, and I'm like, all right, let's go back down. And I dive back down, and the next one is 25 seconds. I dive back down. It's about 30 seconds. I dove 25 times. Over the course of about two hours that day, and the longest I think I dove was about 35 to 38 seconds. And I was so frustrated and defeated, and it was actually getting worse, not better. And I was like, I don't get it. I can hold my breath for three minutes. What happens? Well, here's what happens. Fear happens. I did. You cannot hold your breath when you're afraid. You just can't. Your body tightens. Your brain goes crazy. The the, the urge to breathe is so much stronger. You you can't do it. I don't care how long you can hold your breath. I don't care how much preparation you've done. I don't care how much equipment you have gotten. I don't care if you have gotten all this stuff, taken all the classes, and prepared yourself for a very long time to go have this amazing moment. You can't do it when you're afraid. It's just fear shut the whole thing down. And I share this with all of you guys. Because I think, This is what happens with our lives. I think the same is true with our lives. You know, we talk about preparation. It's a season of Advent. Let's prepare our hearts for Christmas. And I want more hope. I want more peace. I want more joy in my life. And I want to live fully in the kingdom of God, this reality that Jesus has for me and for you and for each of us, right? No one's excluded. Everyone's, let's do this. And yet, you can... Prepare like crazy. You can get your house ready. You can get your decorations ready. You can get, you can read your Bible every morning. You can be praying. You can do all of this stuff. When fear sets in, it just has, I don't care how much preparation has happened, it just, it has the ability to just shut the whole thing down. And it occurred to me, this is a lesson I learned through freediving that I just never thought I would. It occurred to me, one of the greatest ways that we can prepare to live fully in the reality of Jesus Christ is to actually, as part of our preparation work on facing and working through some of our fear so that when God wants to usher in some of these moments into our lives so that we can stand more fully in the kingdom of God, we find ourselves not shutting down but moving forward in it, right? Something really powerful and I just overlooked it because it's easy to overlook it. It's not something we always want to think about or talk about. So I know it's kind of weird to have a Christmas talk on fear. But here we go. This is what we're doing. So uh, as part of Advent, this is the aspect of preparation I want to face. And can I just say, you're in good company. Do you know that the very first thing that this early couple that was going to bring Jesus into the world, Mary and Joseph, the very first thing that this couple in the Christmas story has to do is actually wrestle with their fears. That's the very first part of the story. Before the amazingness, before the silent night, before all the, the good stuff that we celebrate and love and resonate with, the very first thing that they had to do was actually embraced the words of an angel who looked at each of them separately and said, do not be afraid. So friends, may that be true for you this season too, as we seek to prepare together in some ways and talk about this idea of preparation when it comes to fear. I want to look at, at Mary first in the Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth, by the way, a small town. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The Bible tells us she was greatly troubled. She's perplexed and confused and swirling. And and this is that idea when you meditate on something negatively is what's carried in this this word troubled here. And she's greatly troubled. Guys, she's afraid. She's scared. And notice, she's not just scared at the angel. When you read about the shepherds later, they're freaked out because they don't know what an angel is, and this is overwhelming. She's worried about the words the angel spoke spoken to her. She's worried about what this might mean for her, right? Then it continues in verse 30. It says, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. There's that phrase. Do not be afraid. Most common phrase used in the Christmas story. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Think about the words that God gives to Mary here through this angel. Think about what happens. Mary is immediately greeted. Greetings, O favored one, which is is God's way of saying, I like you. I am for you, right? Oh, you, you have my favor, oh, favored one. And then what's the angel say? And the Lord is with you. Now, like people all around the world aren't just getting this public service announcement from angels. Like this is a pretty unique thing that, that Mary's experiencing. And it's because, and she knows this, God's going to do something unique through her. This is about to be a moment for her where God's going to use her in some extraordinary, there's some unique way. That this is that God's going to use her. And she starts to be troubled at this. What could this possibly mean? Right? And the message he gives her is, I, I'm for you. God is for you. God is with you. So don't be afraid. The word for afraid that gets used there in the classical Greek is, is this idea of that which makes you go running away. So what's not being said here is don't ever have fear in your life. That would make you a robot, friends. You're a human being. Fear is a very normal expression. What's being said here is, I know, I know. Just don't go running for the hills. Stay with me and keep stepping forward here. Don't let fear write your story right now. Don't be afraid. God's opening message. I favor you. I'm with you. We're going to do good things. Don't be afraid. And the angel tells Mary, here's what God wants to do. And I know we probably think, and the moment he clarifies that, takes the ambiguity out, and Mary's probably like, oh, sweet. Gotcha. I'm in. And if we think that way, we would be forgetting what it, was be, what it was like to be a teenage girl who's hearing all of this for the very first time. It would be terrifying. I don't know if any of you guys remember being a teenage girl. I certainly don't because I was never one. Or just being a teenager of any kind. And all of a sudden, if like, I came to you and was like, by the way, big circumstances, world-changing things, and it's all going to happen through you. You're going to be a little overwhelmed by this. This is not going to be a moment where you're just suddenly like, sweet, yeah, uh, talk to me later. Like, this is going to be a very, very hard thing to wrap your head around. It's huge. That's why I believe Mary's fear probably doesn't go away. It probably grows in this particular moment. I measure her fear gets a whole lot bigger. you know what I think Mary's afraid of? You know the fear I think that she holds in this particular moment? Is I think Mary is dealing with a fear of inadequacy. I think Mary's dealing with a fear of inadequacy. And, and let me explain why I say this. Mary isn't married and Mary's just been told that she is going to give birth to a child who's ultimately going to be the Messiah, the one whom they've all been waiting for, who's ultimately going to change the world and bring the kingdom of God right here in our midst. Like, she just got delivered massive news. Mary's not even married, Mary is a young woman. She's estimated to be between the ages of 12 and 14. Guys, 12 and 14, that was normal marrying ages, marrying age at this particular point. But still, that's young. And she's inexperienced. When it says that she is a virgin, it can mean multiple things. One thing that it means is, is that she's never been with a man. Another thing that it means is, is that she is a young and inexperienced woman. It's, it's just a characterization uh, at large in this. And, and this is Mary. She doesn't know what she's doing here. She does, she's not prepared for this. This hasn't happened before. She'd be afraid. How is she gonna pull this thing off? She's not even married, she's never been with somebody. And Mary's also, by the way, engaged. Now, that means she's promised to this guy named Joseph. And in that particular culture, when you were engaged, You'd secure the engagement, and then the groom would go off, and he'd go back to his family home or area, and he'd start to build a house, sometimes an addition on the family home, sometimes an additional house. And that whole preparation phase was him building and working hard and like constructing the life that they're going to now have. And when that thing's done, he marches back into town, and that's wedding day. The day he shows up back into town, everyone's ready, and it's the wedding. And they have this thing. So Joseph, they're engaged, guys. So Joseph working like crazy, and he's building a future for them, and he's working on the house and all this stuff, and he's just trying to get plans in order so they can finally step into the life that they want. And Mary's got to go to him and deliver this news. Think about it. It's not a great message to deliver to any fiance, much less one who's constantly working very hard to secure your future at that point. Hey, Joseph, I know you've been working really, really hard, and you're trying to create this life for us, and that's really great, and we've got all these plans, and man, this is so good, but like, little bit of a detour, I'm pregnant, and you know, it's not your baby, don't worry, it's God's. It's not, this doesn't go well. Do you see what I, I I know we don't think of it this way, like, but this is how this conversation would have gone. Whose baby is it? Because imagine yourself. And she's like, don't worry, it's God's baby. Oh, okay. And everybody suddenly is just like sweet. And if you think that's like normal and that that happens sweetly, just imagine that in your own life. Seriously, imagine that you have to turn to your spouse or loved one or somebody. and You're like, by the way, I'm pregnant and it's God's baby. Even if you being pregnant is crazy, the fact that it's God's baby is not going to help you. They're going to think you're crazy. You guys. And if somebody says that to you right now, you're going to be like, I'm going to scoot a few seats over. You're going to feel weird. They're going to think she's insane or in this particular culture, maybe even demon possessed. How is she supposed to have this conversation in a way that moves forward with Joseph who she's promised to? Where is she going to find these words? What is she going to do? And if she can get past all of that, she can have the conversation and do all the things and they both agree, okay, this is good. This is a gift from God and we are going to move forward in this right? We're, we're going to do this. Well, I don't know if any of you remember who are now parents, remember what it was like when you found out you were going to be a parent? For me, when I found out for the very first time about my, my firstborn daughter, that we were pregnant with her, I immediately was like, oh my gosh. And I felt so overwhelmed because who am I? I mean, I barely knew how to, like, make a bed, much less keep someone alive. And, and, and now I've got to help be responsible for someone's social and emotional, like, growth. Is it, is it, I'm going to mess this whole thing up. That was the thought I honestly had. I was like, there's no, guys, there's no manual. I don't know if you've never had a kid. There's not one. They don't, like, they hand you a baby. They say, don't shake it. And they send you home. Like, this is, it's just what it is. It's terrifying. And now I want you to imagine if at the same time they're like, and by the way, your child's going to be the savior of the world. This is God's child, so raise him well. No pressure, right? No, you'd be terrified and overwhelmed and feeling a little bit inadequate in this particular moment. Right? We don't read these things. I think Mary had a fear of inadequacy. Perhaps she's afraid that she's not enough. Perhaps she's afraid that she she just doesn't have what it takes to make this happen. She's not old enough, doesn't have the wisdom, she doesn't have have the skill set. Like it's just the ability's not there, the circumstances aren't there, she it's not adequate. And I think that's why she responds the way that she does. Luke chapter 1, verse 34. It says, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, before that, the angel had been saying, there's all this good stuff that's going to happen. God's going to do this, bring you a son, and he's going to be powerful, and his throne's going to reign forever. And here's all the great things God's going to do. And then Mary goes, yeah, but, but also, how am I going to pull this off? How, how Like, have you seen me? My paraphrase would be, I'm sorry, have you seen me? I, don't, I think you have the wrong person for this. And I share this with all of you guys because I think that for some of you, Mary's fear is your fear. I think for some of us, Mary's fear is our fear. I think some of us in this room, in our most honest of moments, know that inside of us there's this fear at times of a felt sense of inadequacy. And you know, that's a little bit different than insecurity. Sometimes insecurity is just, am I worthy? Am I enough? Inadequacy is just sometimes, will I make it? Can I do it? Do I have what it takes? Am I... Not just am I enough, it's all these other pieces that attach to that. And I think some of us know what it is to struggle with this. I've heard this one phrase more in the last year than I have in a long time. It's this idea of imposter syndrome. Some of us struggle with this idea of feeling feeling like an imposter in our lives, right? Like you put on the face and you work hard and you show up to it, but inside there's this part of you that just feels like you don't have what it takes and you're trying to mask it and you're exhausted doing this. I mean, think of this, how many of you are parents? I hear this a lot. How many of you are parents and you find yourself looking at this child that you're supposed to raise and do a good job at and there's this sense inside of you, this little voice of fear that sometimes gets really loud and it just says, like, I, I don't have what it takes to do this well. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have what it takes. I'm just, I, going to screw this all up and I, I don't know. And that fear of inadequacy just starts to rise up in us, it, it's scary. Sometimes we don't know where to take that. We don't know what to do with it. Or some of us, right? Or how many relationships are represented here where one or both parties inside the relationship find themselves looking at the other person and just feeling like, I don't have what it takes to love this person well or to do a relationship well or to be good at any of this. And, and you can't share that out loud because that will just tank the relationship, but you're just carrying this inside of you and you don't know what to do with it or where to go with it. And it's, it's exhausting. And it's hard. Some of you are students, and there's just this idea of like, I, I feel all this pressure to succeed and to, to have friends and to fit in and to not only navigate all my social dynamics at school, but also my grades and my parents. And, fa- and it's overwhelming, and I don't think I have what it takes to do this thing. I just There's this sense of inadequacy that can rise up within us. And you know the one that surprises me? And this, this is just something I've become more aware of in the last couple of years. I keep sitting down with people towards the end of their lives, and they start to talk to me about how they have all of this fear about approval and different things. And, and they're embarrassed because they feel like they've lived long enough they should have figured this out a long time ago. And so they don't have anybody to talk to about it. Because how do you admit that you're struggling with something when everyone looks at you like you're supposed to be wise and have it all together and just know everything? So just quietly carry some of these things. Friends, I don't know what your fear is, but maybe your fear, maybe our fear, is Mary's fear. You know, there's a season of time I was uh, in Chicago, and I've shared some of this before, where uh, I had finished school and I wanted to be a pastor, and I was just living my life working in retail uh, there, and and I decided, I think it's time to take the next step, and I'm going to go and pursue this church out in Colorado. So I did. I called them, and they said, yeah, come on out and explore this with us. It's not a done deal, but come on out here, see how this fits, and, and explore. And so I said, okay. And so I made this decision with my wife and and we decided to move. And, And you ever have that terrifying conversation, maybe it's not scary for you, it is for me, where you quit your job and you get rid of your steady income while you transition into the next thing? And so I did. I, I put in my two weeks. And luckily there was going to be a transfer, or like a new store opening out there that maybe I could manage that store in that location. And, and maybe that would work. But my wife didn't have a job and I was working things out. And, and we didn't even know if this church was ultimately going to fit. And I remember when I had all the conversations and now we needed to move in two weeks. We'd even like terminated our lease. And everything was done. It was above board and done. And I just remember that day we went, I went to sleep it was nighttime, and my wife is laying there, and she 's sleeping like a baby in the, next to me and i 'm staring at the ceiling, and my brain is just going a hundred miles an hour and about two a m in the morning, I got out of bed and I walked into this little living room in our tiny apartment in Chicago, and I sat there, and I just started to pray because I was just stressed and fearful and anxious about all these things. I didn't know what to do. And, and, and I'm not a guy who journals very often. You know, I, everybody's always like, go journal this. And I always nod my head, pretending like I, I don't, in case you're curious. But I had one, and I just thought at that point in my life, okay, maybe I can just get what's in me out of me so I can go to bed. I'm going to write it down. And so I took this journal out that I had. I hadn't really written much anything in, and I opened it up, and I just stared at a blank page for a long time. And then I finally just wrote four words. And to this day, those are the only four words left written in that whole journal. As I wrote, what if I fail? And that was it. I was terrified. What if I couldn't do it? What if I moved in this church didn't like me or didn't work out right? And I didn't have what it takes. What if I couldn't provide? What if, what if I was moving my wife for something I desired? And it was a catastrophe with all this stuff because I couldn't pull this stuff off. And I was so scared at that point in time. And you know, can I just share in hindsight, I'm really grateful that I didn't let fear drive my story in that particular moment. It was a big deal. And I'm really grateful for this because that journey and moving out to Colorado is what ultimately helped Bring me to this place where I now am here. And it grew me with my my wife and developed something in me that led me here, which has been one of the biggest blessings of my entire life. I'm so glad that I didn't let fear write my story. And I kept trying to trust, God, who are you and what is it that you have for me? But it would have been so easy. All I wanted to do that night was just go and be like, hey, I know how I quit. Just kidding. I would like my job back. And and can we get my lease back? And can I just make all of this go away because I don't want to feel this. Fear has that power inside of us to just shut things down. Maybe Mary's fear is your fear. Mary said, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? And then the angel replies, and there's a, a lengthy reply, but the short and sweet of it can be found in verse 37. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. I think this is huge. The angel reminds Mary that her fears are not bigger than her God. And I know most of us like in our kind of like wise minds, right? Our smart theological brains can go like, well, of course, he's the creator of the universe. He's the biggest thing there is. Nothing can be bigger than God. Of course. What I'm asking here though, and I think what Mary's being reminded of is how she's actually perceiving her life, right? And I just want to ask you guys, is there a fear in your life that's become bigger than your God? Is there something in your life that, that is just bigger than the story God wants to tell through you? Is there a messaging in your life that's become bigger than the message God has for you and what He says about you and who He tells you you are? Is there something bigger in your life than the kingdom of God that is prepared for us because of the birth of Christ that we can step fully into now and forever And if there is, well, welcome to being a human. We all struggle with this, and we all have fears, and that's perfectly normal and and okay. But I think there's something powerful about gaining that perspective back. So I just thought I'd take a moment here, friends, to remind you, just like Mary got the reminder from the angel. Whatever it is that you're facing, I just want you to know it's probably a big deal that you're facing it. You wouldn't be facing it if it's not a big deal, but it's just not bigger than your God. And whatever inadequacy you struggle with, whatever lack you feel like that might be, it's okay. We all have weaknesses. And God partners in those moments to keep telling his story because it's his story and he's leading this thing out. And you just got to step into those moments. Don't let fear write your story. You know, Mary wasn't the only one though. Right? It'd be unfair to just give this whole sermon about Mary. Joseph had to deal with this too. Matthew chapter one. So Mary's found in Luke. Matthew's found in chapter 1, or Joseph's in Matthew 1. It says this in verse 18. It says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's a big sentence for old Joseph. I'm going to read that again. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Then her husband Joseph, being a just man, a righteous man, Unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, and here's that Christmas story phrase again, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So you know what I think? I've always thought that an angel appears to Mary and is like, by the way, good news, you're favored, God's with you, and Jesus is going to be born to you, and you guys get to raise the Messiah. It's going to be an amazing venture, guys. And then I thought the angel, I really did, I thought the angel was like, and pause, because I feel like we need to go relay this to Joseph, or it's going to get real uncomfortable between you guys. And then the angel disappears, goes and appears to Joseph, and is like, Joseph, so we've already communicated to Mary, she just found out the news, she's probably struggling a little bit. But also... It's real, it is God's baby, and like this is a good thing, and so rise to the occasion, step into this moment, just trust it, don't let fear write your story. Okay, good, go. That's not what happens. Do you know this? That is not what happens. What happens is, Angel comes to Mary, Mary deals with all this, Mary gets pregnant, and she starts showing to the degree that she is found to be with child, which means she had this long enough that she was developing a stomach that could be seen. Like, okay, look, she's actually pregnant. This isn't an arguable thing at this point in time. And Joseph's suddenly going, wait, I thought we were building a house. And then after they're wrestling with this, because now he's apparently got to wrestle with this quietly, he's going to divorce her quietly. It's at that moment after he's like, okay, I'm just going to divorce her quietly. We're going to sneak away. It's fine. Everything's fine. I'm fine. It's at that moment that an angel appears to him in a dream. At that moment. Isn't that crazy? So do you think Joseph was a little bit afraid? Yeah. Unless he's a robot. Absolutely. Joseph would have been incredibly afraid. You know what I think? I think Joseph would have been struggling with a fear of disapproval and disappointment. I do. I think this would have been a fear of disapproval and disappointment. Because the passage tells us Joseph is a just man, a righteous man. So he's a good guy. And it's not just that it tells us this, he's known that way. This is part of who he is, part of his identity, part of his reputation. And he doesn't want all of this to become public knowledge for two reasons. If Mary's found out to have committed adultery, to have someone else's baby in this particular instance, here's what's going to happen to her they're going to take her to court, and she's going to get drugged in front of the whole temple. And this group of Sadducees, who are the high priests at that time, they're, they're going to evaluate her case, and Mary's going to be like, no, 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 I never cheated on Joseph. And she's going to be standing there pregnant. And I don't know if you can imagine having to hear that argument with a pregnant woman being like, no, 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 I, I didn't. You wouldn't believe it either. And she's going to be ridiculed and shamed and 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 likely severely punished. And if she keeps saying, no, this is God's baby. No, this is God's baby. Do you know what's going to happen? They're going to deem her insane or demon-possessed. I don't know if you've read your Bibles. Life doesn't go well for those people. They just—they—they they weren't included in society and things got really rough and really hard. Mary doesn't have a bright future ahead of her as far as this whole story is about to go. And Joseph wants to spare her of that. But also, what about him? He's got to be the guy who makes this decision and figures this out. And not only is it going to go really badly for Mary, it's going to go really, really badly for Joseph because Joseph's going to be the guy who tried to marry the insane woman. Joseph's going to be the guy who who didn't see it ahead of time that he was duped and that his wife was going to cheat on him. Joseph is going to be the guy whose reputation is just trashed. And this isn't an individualistic society. This is a collectivist Eastern society in a small town, you guys. Which means what? Whatever Joseph decides when he goes to work, he's going to face this in the business place. Whatever Joseph decides when he goes to hang out with his family and friends, they will have very strong opinions about all of it and voice them. Whatever Joseph decides, there's going to be all kinds of moments of disapproval that are going to make their way to him. And he's got to face this. It's a terrible situation to be in. It really is. And on top of all of this, do you know the one other hard part we often forget about this for both Mary and Joseph? He's out building the house. Why? Because they got dreams and plans together. Because they got a life they're trying to build together. And as beautiful as this moment is with Jesus entering into their midst and in the world, which it's one of the most climactic moments in human history, it is profoundly beautiful. As beautiful as all that is, it's a giant change in their plans. And it's a giant end to a story that they were telling and an adaptation to a new one that's beginning. And that's good and beautiful, it's okay, but you also know that can be really hard. And sometimes we get a fear of disappointment in those moments. Because it's just hard to walk through, friends. You know, for some of you, I share all this, because I just think for some of us, some of you, some me too, Joseph's fear is our fear. Some of us are afraid of disapproval. Or disappointment. And if you look and you go, I don't know that I am, ask yourself this question. Whose disapproval are you most afraid of? And what kind of power does it have in your life? And if you struggle with that question, ask this. Whose approval are you living for? It's a common question people ask. Whose approval are you currently living living for? Who has that power in your life? You know, for some of us it's in the workplace that we feel this the most. Some of us are just working really hard because you're trying to get that like good job moment that never seems to come around. and instead what happens is like it's never enough and there's more criticism and so you're overworking and you're overfunctioning and you're overmanaging because you're just trying to control all that so you don't have to feel what it is that you feel. right? It's gonna be hard. For some of us, it's family. It's just honest. Some of us in this room are still living trying to get the approval of our parents, even though we don't even live in their house anymore. And some of you live in their house, and that's your driving thing. Some of us, and this is crazy hard. This one this one is just so real, but it's hard. Some of us are still living, trying to get the approval of somebody who's not even alive anymore. Because we spent so much of our life seeking it that now that they're gone, we don't know how else to live. And it's like a script inside of us. Guys, fears can do this thing inside of us, can't they? Where they just shrink the story down to the fear, and they hijack, and kind of shut it down down for us. You know, for others in this room, maybe for you, the approval you see, because you just want to be liked, and you just want to be accepted, and you always feel like you're on the outside, like you're on the fringe of something. And then I thought about this, and this is especially true for churches. You know, in churches we can experience this too. Oftentimes there's this whole idea about, like, what does it mean to be a good Christian? And sometimes we care more about managing what it looks like to be a good Christian than we do about trusting who God says that we are. And if you don't get that, how many of you do not raise your hands at this? How many of you had like a full down argument, crazy, on the way into church today. When you got out of the car, you looked at each other you're like, game faces. Hi, God is good all the time. God is good. Welcome to church. I've done this, right? It's just, there's this expectation. You've got to be this kind of person. I'm not telling you to everybody lose your minds all the time. I just, it's hard, isn't it? It's just difficult. We don't want to get the disapproval or the judgments of others. And if for you it's the word disappointment that really resonates, can I just say this about disappointment? If the thing you're really scared of, if the thing that really bothers you is this idea of what if you end up being disappointed? Disappointment has this crazy power of shrinking our lives to a standstill because we forego the good things in front of us for fear that if we step into them, better to just not step at all than step into them and be disappointed when we do. Some of you have a dream that God's put in your life and put in your heart that is real, and alive, and it's just dwindled down to nothing because the fear of disappointment has just smothered it out because you're so scared that if you step into whatever that thing is that God has for you and you fail or you're disappointed or it's not, it doesn't pan out the way that you want, that you'll be crushed by that. And so you just live behind the fear of disappointment. Don't let it rob you of what God has for you, friends. I'm so grateful that when I think of this young couple, that they gathered faith and they gathered their wisdom in this particular moment. And it sounds like independently and then together, right? To basically say, which story here am I going to trust? Is it going to be, am I going to let fear tell my story or am I going to lean into something larger than myself? And so I just want to challenge us during this season of time as we prepare for Christmas, but more than just Christmas, as we prepare to live in the fullness of a God who is with us because Jesus is born. As we step fully into the gift that is our lives, because your life is a precious gift, and Christ is, is with you. This isn't this idea of, so measure up. This is the idea of, no, it awaits you. It's there, friends. It's a good and beautiful gift. As we step forward into that, may we prepare in this season by wrestling with some of our fears. And I just, if you don't know where to start, maybe you have your own way, and that's okay. If you don't know where to start, can I offer you just three suggestions? If, if you don't know where to start, maybe start here. And the first one is this. Surrender what you can't control. God, And the key word in that challenge there is the word surrender. It is surrender what you can't control to God. When we're scared and we have a fear of, of disapproval, or a fear of inadequacy, you know what we try to do? We try to control all of the variables and pieces so that we don't ever have to hear disapproval or have to feel any of those things. And we start trying to control not only ourselves, but other people and situations and outcomes just to preserve ourselves. And so I just want you to ask yourself the question, friends, what is there in your life that you're trying to control that only God can? What would happen if Mary and Joseph had been like, we need to control the narrative. We need to control how this gets out. We need to control what people think. They would have just been smothered by that. That would have been so difficult to carry all of that, which ultimately they can't do. What is there in your life that you're trying to control that only God is actually big enough to control. And if you can identify that, you get the freedom to ask yourself a question. Okay, what's mine? If that's what's big enough for God because it's too big for me and I can't control those outcomes because I drive myself crazy trying to, okay, what is mine to step into? What do I care about? What are the things God has for me? And then step into those and see where it takes you. Trust God with those things. Let that be a part of your prayer life. Let that be a part of your journal life if you're a journal person. Whatever it is for you, I don't know. But take that step. Here's the second one. Choose the voice that is worth listening to. Choose the voice that is worth listening. Tell me that Mary and Joseph wouldn't have had a thousand voices swimming around in their heads and circling around them in their village or their town of Nazareth, right? They would have had so many. The voice of their own fears, the voice of their families, the voice of of condemnation and judgment, the voice of gossip and all these different... They would have had so many voices all around them. And I'm so glad that they leaned into the voice of an angel who looked and said, you are favored, <laughs> I am with you, and there's good things that God has for you. I'm so glad that they trusted that voice, because they ultimately get to become a part of telling a story that we're all reaping the benefit of and celebrating like crazy in just a week or so here, two weeks actually, right? This, I mean, it's a big deal. And I'm so glad they chose that thing, friends, for you. What are the voices that you're listening to in your life? Are they the ones you want to? right? Think about it. Who is it right now in your life that you're listening to? Is, it, is that voice, when you think about it, does it bring more fear into your life? Or does it help you have more confidence to step forward in faith? Does that person make you look around you with, with more of a fear-based mentality or, does it, or or that thing or whatever it is? I, maybe it's even radio and news and stuff. I don't know what the voices are that we all have clouding our minds and judgments. There's probably tons of them out there. Even the voices of our own fears inside of us. Which voice will you listen to? Because the reality is, is there's a God who looks at you and says, you are favored. Just like Mary, you are favored. There's grace upon grace upon grace for you. Jesus says he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us even to the very end of the age. And he is not dead, but alive. And there are good plans that God wants to continue to work out in your life and in my life. That life is there for you. Which voice are you listening to? And lastly, this practice choosing faith over fear. At the end of the day, Mary and Joseph chose to trust God. By the way, the key word in this one is practice. It's not faith over fear. It's practice. Mary and Joseph chose to trust God. And I like to think that they chose on that day. Okay, we signed the contract. We trust. And then what happens the next day when they wake up and the town's like, what's wrong with you? What happens the next day when they wake up? What happens when they get to Bethlehem? And all of a sudden there's like conflict with Joseph's family and things get real weird. What happens when they're navigating along with a donkey while she's nine months pregnant and I bet they're having the time of their lives as a married couple? There's no way, right? I guarantee that was not a sweet sing-song moment where Joseph's just singing, leading the donkey and Mary's sweet. Like, it's not a great moment, you guys. It's just not. And so they get this opportunity to keep choosing it, to keep choosing the story, to keep choosing who they trust, to keep choosing whether they let fear tell their story and bring them back or whether they let something else guide them forward. You know, this last summer, I got to spend two months almost in the Caribbean, in the island of Curacao, because I was on sabbatical. It was my year to to go on sabbatical, and I was like, I want to go get in the water as much as possible. So I dove and I dove, and I, as much as I possibly could, I practiced diving. And when I first got in, my stomach muscles tightened, and my body got weird, and I begged for breath. And, and then as I noticed, as I just dove a little more, and dove a little more. And as I just kept practicing, all of a sudden I just felt the fear kind of get a little bit less, and I got more comfortable with depth, and I got more comfortable breathing, and I started to experience the beauty of this underwater world. And then I dove too deep on accident by myself one time, and I kind of freaked out on my way back up. And you know what happened on my next dive? 25 seconds. (laughs) And I'm back again. But you know what happens? That's okay. We're going to mess these things up now and then, and we're going to trust a different voice. And you just get back in the water, and you keep practicing, and you keep practicing. And I had one of my favorite summers I've had in a long time, and there really is a big underwater world under there, and it's amazing, friends, and I love it. The kingdom of God is real in your life the reality of Jesus Christ alive and real in you with a life before you is real and alive in your life, friends, don't let fear keep you from living that story. Just give yourself permission to practice it a little more, a little more, and a little more. And I think in the end, that amounts to a pretty amazing story. Let's pray. God, we love you. (laughs) Where do we do? I love that you sent Jesus and I love that there's life for us and that there's unconditional love and that we don't have to question it, we can take it to the bank. And so Lord, if there's anybody in here that's struggling with fear, if they're wrestling with that, Lord, whether it's any of the fears we talked about today or whatever they might be, God, I, I just pray that your perfect love would cast out all fear. That's what you, your word tells us. May they have such a deep sense of how loved they are in you that it would swallow the voice of their fear. And God, in the moments where it creeps back up and in the moments where it wants to tell our story, give us courage, give us guidance, wisdom, all of it, perseverance, that we might continue to step forward in faith, choosing your voice, choosing your story. And I thank you that there are good things. We love you and we praise you. Amen.